Hey everyone, this is Dr. William Clark here. So glad that you're joining us for the Dr. William Clark podcast. This podcast is focused on helping nonprofits simplify the fundraising processes they use so they can build six-figure programs without chasing funders. I don't know about you, but I wish I knew this information before I started working in the nonprofit world years ago. But I'm here to help you build six-figure programs and I'm here to help you on your journey. So would you be so kind to not only listen to this podcast, would you also rate, would you also subscribe, would you also comment on this podcast wherever you're listening? And lastly, would you also be kind enough to share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who you believe can benefit from the content we're sharing? Now, we are here to help and support you on this journey, and I believe that we have some resources that can help you quite a bit. So go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. Now, let's jump into our show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. William Clark here, the host of the Dr. William Clark Podcast. Glad to have you guys in for another episode. Uh, We are very excited to be here another day. It's always great to be alive for another day, and so I'm glad to be hanging with you guys. Also, welcome to our Clubhouse family. For those of you who are hanging with us, glad to have you with us. Listen, we're still in this topic series talking about how to raise $100,000 in six months for your new nonprofit. And for those of you who have been hanging out with us, uh, who have been a part of this journey, glad to still have you with us. Uh, I know that we've been kind of plowing through this, so I'm glad to continue the conversation. There's uh, one topic, subtopic I'm going to cover here today uh, as it relates to how to build a, a program funders want to fund. And this is part of the $100,000 in six months mechanism, right? There are several mechanisms that we've addressed uh, during our time together, and uh, it's been really impactful kind of walking walking through this with you guys and kind of powering through this with you guys. So I want to continue this conversation here as we address, you know, how to build a program funders one and how it leads to us uh, building the six-figure programs that we want in six months or less. And so let's kind of jump into this. Let me share a couple of uh, principal things with you guys as we get started here. Let me just ping a couple of folks into the room and have them come up to the stage. So there, there are five or six things I'm going to share with you as it relates to building a program funders want to fund. Now, every person that launches a nonprofit, they have a desire to uh, do this work because they are uh, looking for the funding that they need. And probably more important than the funding, most people get into this business because they want to serve a need. They want to fill a need uh, that others uh, have left as an open gap in their community in their city, in their state, etc. And so this is really important for us to kind of zero in on as we focus our energy on building these programs or at least pursuing the revenue we need for these programs. We want to talk about, well, if we build a program and we know inherently that there's a need in our gut, we feel it, we feel it uh, in, in our soul. We know that there's something that is needed for the community. But the question a lot of people don't know how to answer is, How do we build a program that funders want? How do we build something that puts us in a position to attract the right funders to support our work? Now, this is something totally separate from individual donors and sponsors, which we have covered and we'll cover those again. But I want to talk specifically about funders in the sense of the foundations who are going to who provide uh, grant fundings available for us to pursue. All right. So there are six things I want to share with you for your new nonprofit, how to build a program funders want and how you can do this in six months or less to build a one hundred thousand dollar program. Number one, you got to identify your customer. You got to understand the demographics. Uh, Some people in the marketing world call this understanding your avatar. Who is your avatar? Who are you serving? Why are you serving this person? 
Why are they relevant to you? Why do they matter to your work? Why are you pursuing this as a passion? Why is this driving your organization? Understanding who your customer is and understanding the demographics of your customer is super important. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, I, I'm serving this group. I'm serving that group. I'm serving this group over there. And what I will push back on is to say, yeah, that's not enough detail because your customer is not just a group of people. Your customer is not just this person, right, that's in the corner of your city struggling with this. You have to niche down to a very specific level to identify who your customer is. So there are a couple of things you want to understand about your demographic when you are talking about who you're serving, uh, particularly when you're building a program funders want to fund. Number one, what is the age of your demographic? Okay. Number two, what stage of life are they in? Number three. What are the barriers that they're struggling with? Hey, Derek, hey, Janelle. Number four, what do they need? And number five, what do they want? That last one trips us up all the time because a lot of us who see a need in a community, we articulate a need in a community, and we say, well, in a community, we need this. In a community, we need that. And one of the questions that we don't answer enough is, well, I know that you say we need this, but what does the community want by and large? What do they want by and large? And how do we make that happen? Okay. So the second thing you want to do when you're building a program funders want is to specify the service you want to provide to your customer. Okay. The specific service you want to provide. Now, I want to drill down on this uh, from this perspective. It's not just the service. But once you identify the service, you also want to identify the KPIs that identify uh, success, that that warrant success or measure success. So let's say you're dealing with uh, youth who are between the age of 18 and 24. And let's say that they are considered opportunity youth who are dealing with high-end barriers such as low-income housing instability, food insecurity, uh, no transportation, a lack of child care, and they are justice involved. What do they need? They need an opportunity to become self-sufficient and economically sustainable. What do they want? They want to be able to provide on their own because they're not going back home. All right. Now, when we talk about the specific services that uh, you will provide, there are tons of things that these young people want uh, that there are tons of things we can provide rather. But again, when we start to talk about what we're going to provide, especially as we are building a, a program funders want, it's super important for us to understand that we got to build something not only that funders are going to want, but also our customers are going to want. And when we do that, the question we're going to have to answer is, what are the key indicators of success that outlines the work that we're getting ourselves into? So if we're going to do something to provide economic self-sufficiency, what is it? Is it a workforce development program? Is it a financial literacy program? Is it a child care program? Is it a transportation program? Is it something else, Right. And all of this stuff has to be based upon data. It can't be anything you just make up out of thin air or because you feel it or you sense it or you believe that this is what should be uh, for your customer. You got to have substantiated data feedback to support your work. Here's a third step when building a program funders want. You want to identify other providers who are providing similar services that you are looking to provide. Then you want to evaluate their program. Then you want to refine your program to to design. You want to refine your program design before you launch it. Okay, so you want to look at you want to look at the competition. And look at what they are doing. 
And you want to understand how they're doing it. You want to do a deep dive in terms to find out what type of customers they're serving. You want to do a deep dive and understand the services they're providing. You want to do a deep dive to evaluate the key indicators of success. Again, some of this stuff is sounding familiar because I mentioned it in the first two steps. So the level of consistency is going to be super important for you as you evaluate what the competition is doing and then how you are going to play a role in launching something that is relevant to the customer and relevant to the community and, more importantly, relevant to the funder. Number four, in terms of building a program funders want, you want to identify funders that support this work. Now, you're going to have to reevaluate step three to understand this. Because when you start to look at the competition, when you start to understand what the competition is doing in your community, in this particular area, on this particular topic, then you're going to understand, you're going to be able to find out which funders are supporting their work. Particularly when you're new uh, to the industry or you're new to the work and you're launching a nonprofit, you have to find out how, which funders are supporting the work and if your work is at least fundable. A lot of the things we're pursuing or building may not be fundable uh, by mainstream foundations. And so we find this out by looking at the competition. So one of the things we got to do is be careful about the critical nature uh, of the, the critical element of uh, looking at other organizations and criticizing what they are not doing. It's easy to criticize what they're doing or not doing by looking on the outside in not realizing that what they're doing is actually fundable. And so if you're looking to get funded by a foundation, which is what we're talking about today, a large-scale foundation, then you're going to have to find out what they are funding that's similar. It may not be exact, but similar to the work that you're looking to do. And from there, you can start to figure out how you can plot your course. So when you're identifying the funders and the support uh, that they're giving to existing competitors or would-be competitors as you grow, you want to find out who's funding the competition. Number two, evaluate the projects they're funding uh, funding with that particular competitor. Number three, look at the type of organization that they're funding. Look at the organizational size. And lastly, look at the expected outcomes the funder has of the competition. And when you do that evaluation, you start to see how you stack up. And, of course, as you're launching and you're young and you're small and you're just now getting started and getting off your, uh, getting, getting on your feet with your organization, a lot of this stuff is not going to be relevant to you because you're not going to be able to qualify for a lot of the major funding up front. So this leads us to step five in terms of how to build a program funders want. Once you do the analysis of what funders are supporting, then you want to reevaluate the information that you've gathered and refine your program. Yet again, this is the third time we're touching our program design. Now, of course, in a real live environment, you're going to be refining your program for the life of the program. It's never or should never be a static situation. It's something you should be working on over and over and over again. But according to this quick step process, this is the third time we're touching the program for refinement. This is after we've evaluated the program in comparison to our competitors. And this is after we've looked at what funders are supporting. And now once we've done that, we're refining the program. Here's the sixth step and here's the last step before we start to open up for conversation. When you want to build a program funders want, you want to partner, especially when you're new. Now, we've covered this in, in multiple podcasts and other episodes. But this partnership piece, this is step six. Is really, really critical for organizations that are starting out, right? Because if you're starting out, you're not going to qualify for major funding. You're not going to get looked at. You're not going to be given the time of day. And it's because funders want to be able to give their dollars to organizations who have the capacity to actually deliver on services, who can actually do the work that they have been contracted to do. It's unreasonable to believe that a new organization has the capacity to do the work 
of an organization that's been around for a number of years, who has a proven track record, who has the capacity, who has the proven resume to do A, B, and C, who has the ability to manage large sums of money, who can front the money and deal with contracts that are based on reimbursement, who they want to deal with organizations that know how to attract customers, who have a strong marketing plan, who have a strong recruitment plan, who have a strong management plan and a strong management team, not just at the top level, the C-suite level, but a strong management team who's managing the program day to day. So it's super important that you understand the limitations that you have. So you want to partner with organizations. By this time, like, for example, if you're going through these steps uh, as kind of an ex- uh, as a framework to think through this, you should have developed a quality program that may be attractive, not necessarily directly to funders, but it may be attractive to providers who want to provide nuance or innovation or creativity to the work that they're working on. This is super key. This is important because the, the providers that are providing the work and receiving the big money are always looking for a competitive advantage, or at least they should be, to stay on top. And as a result of that, they're looking for ways to continue to innovate and to provide valuable services that will keep them attractive to funders, not just the ones that you're pursuing, but they want to be attractive to other funders who are looking to support them as well. And so what keeps them on the front line, the cutting edge of innovation is working with other partner organizations who are bringing something new and unique. So your job at this point, as opposed to pursuing a grant, 100% of a grant, your goal right now is to figure out which organizations in your city, in your region, you can partner with, you can work with, and serve as a subcontractee to so that you can go ahead and work with them on a particular project. Take 20, 30% of the contract value, generate the revenue, and multiply that contract into other contracts with other partners, and there you are. You've reached your $100,000 goal. Now, mind you, it's going to take some work. It's going to take a level of grind to, get, uh, to build a program that's attractive to partners or would-be partners, let alone the funders that are supporting the partners, but it can be done. I'll leave this little tidbit with you. One of the benefits of doing this and going along this journey is as you build a program that's attractive to funders and you build a program that's attractive to partners, what's going to end up happening, because you're not going to pursue funding directly with a funder, you're going to get exposed to funders because of your relationship with the provider or providers you're partnering with. By association, you're going to build these relationships By association, you're going to build the credibility you're looking for. By association, you're going to be able to build the foundation that becomes attractive to funders. And before you know it, you've not only started to generate six figures for your programs by way of subcontracts, you started to build a level of trust and respect amongst the funding community, which puts you in position to possibly compete for a grant directly as the lead provider. There are always going to be opportunities for you to pursue grants because there's going to be an organization that's going to get out of that line of work or an organization that's going to have a lapse in leadership or an organization that's been underperforming for years and is going to present a gap opportunity for you to step in. And what better way to keep continuity in the community than having someone who's been working in the community with other providers as a subcontractee or as a, as, as a, a partner on a couple of contracts to come step up and step in to fill that gap. 
Your job is to be ready for when that opportunity comes. So with that being said, uh, those are the six things that we, I wanted to cover in terms of how to build a program funders want, which can lead to $100,000 in six months for your new nonprofit. Hope you find this helpful. Uh, this particular podcast recording has been brought to you, or brought to us by the Nonprofit Fundraising Masterclass. This masterclass was created by nonprofit leaders for nonprofit leaders to help you simplify your fundraising approaches so you can build six-figure programs without chasing funders. If you're looking to simplify your fundraising approach, then I encourage you to submit your application to the July cohort for our masterclass. We're taking applications right now. We have a few seats left. If you want to join our cohort, feel free to do so and simply go to nonprofitfundingstrategies.com. Again, it's nonprofitfundingstrategies.com. Submit your application and we'll be glad to evaluate your application to see if you're a good fit for our upcoming cohort. With that being said, we're going to open up the floor for conversation. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. What are your thoughts about today's topic? Um, I was multitasking, but from what I heard, it, it was very great points. And I'm glad to be in this room to learn um, more. More of what you said, I, I believe I can put it to you, to use. And I, I will go back and listen to the podcast. Let me know where I can locate the podcast um, to go back and listen to it for some of the things I missed. Yeah, you can go to the Dr. William Clark podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and they'll be up there. Okay. Awesome, Gwen. What are your thoughts about today's topic? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, and I think you know when you're looking at building programs for your customers or your, your beneficiaries, um, balanced with you know, what funders want to fund. It's how you bring those two together. So I think the research you know, you're talking about is really, really key, particularly in the current climate, because funders can often change their criteria quite often. So certainly in the part of the world that I live, it's trying to build relationship with funders to see where they're looking in the future. And at the same time, building programs that serve the needs of the community. But at the same time, you can draw out elements that are going to be super beneficial in what the funders want to fund. So, for example, here in New Zealand, um, really important key drivers at the moment is uh, Māori and Pacific Health. Now, if you have a program that broadly supports health, if you can draw out the benefits to Māori and Pacific Health, receive funding for that, then that also helps everybody's health. It's the roll down. So it's finding the balance between the two, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate that feedback. We'll come back to you, Gwen. Hang tight for a moment. Gerald, what are your thoughts about this topic? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, doctor, as always, man, always on point. And this kind of fits right in with where I am. Considering I'm a new nonprofit, I have an awesome program that's needed doing uh, STEM programming for young black males, middle school to 18, and, and kind of a workforce development nature. And not really qualifying to um, actually apply for major foundation grants just due to the fact that I've only been in this nonprofit status for a year and I'm still building data. But um, what I'm finding is challenges in, in getting those partnerships with other organizations that have funding and where... It shouldn't be a challenge for for what I'm doing in particular, 
but what I'm finding is those those organizations that have funding to do what I do because they actually come to me and ask me, how do you do what you do, right? And I mentioned, well, hey, how about we, we partner and I could actually run this particular program that I'm doing for you. And they tend to shy away from that. So either I'm doing something wrong, there's fear of the competition, or... You know, I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I'm progressing because I've been um, I'm really grateful that I've been successful at what I do. And I've been able to fund it um, via fee for service and just um, peer to peer fundraising, really. So um, but I'm still working on that. I'm working on being able to create those partnerships to grow the organization and put myself in a position to get funding in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, there, I mean, there could be a variety of reasons why partnerships aren't working out right now. But what I found to be kind of um, the reason, generally speaking, with it, why they're not working is because oftentimes we as the person in need of a partnership or entity in need of a partnership, we're pursuing the wrong partners. Right. And so this is why we created the partnership assessment tool in our masterclass where you can evaluate various organizations to see if they're fit for what you have going on. Right. Because your needs are variant and they're different from the next organization. But if you're pursuing potential partners because they look good to you or because they just simply have a good reputation or because, you know, the the another organization because you went to high school with that person, that, that's not a good reason. Right. So there needs to be a deliberative process to determining who to pursue as a potential partner for your organization. So when you look at your gaps and your needs and who can fill those gaps, if you do a proper assessment, and Gerald, I really want you to shoot me a message so we can talk more about this. We'd love to schedule a consult with you. When you do an intentional assessment of these other organizations based upon the needs that you have and where you're trying to go, you'll realize that some of the groups you've tried to pursue in the past may not uh, should not have received any attention from you doesn't mean that they're bad organizations it just means that they're just not a fit for you and they would have been detrimental had things moved forward but clearly the approach uh, also matters as well so when you do your assessment you figure out who's a fit and you determine someone's a potential fit now you want to go through the assessment process similar to an interview process similar to going on a date with somebody you want to figure out okay on paper you fit the need you, I've done my external assessment based upon what I could gather, but I want to get to know you as a person. I want to get to know you as a leader. I want to get to know you as an organization to see if what I believe is true is actually true. And that process puts you in context or puts you in contact with the right people, Gerald, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not worth it pursuing relationships with people that are not going to be the best fit for your organization where you're going. You also got to understand that even though you are looking for partners, you got to also realize that when people decide to meet with you or decide to take a meeting with you, they're evaluating you as well to determine what's the point of this conversation. What can we benefit from? How can we benefit from this organization? How can Gerald and this group add value to what we have going on? It's not a one-way street. It has to be a two-way street. So if you shoot me DM, Gerald, uh, let's have a console. Let's just talk about it. And uh, I believe I can help you kind of make, make heads and tails of this so you can find the right partners. Absolutely. Awesome. I do want to invite up Dr. Phillips uh, if you're able to. And then, uh, Joe, if you're available as well, uh, please raise your hand. Come up to the stage. I know Dr. Phillips looks like you do a lot of contracting with government grants and contracts. So we'd love to get your feedback on this. That is a whole different game. I'm assuming some of the principles are the same, but I, I would love to get your feedback on that. But while we're waiting, Gwen, I want to point back to you. As you look at or listen to some of the content we shared in today's podcast uh, and how it may or may not apply 
to the to the scene or the culture in New Zealand. Are there any changes that you would make to this to these points I shared that would be more relevant to folks from New Zealand or your part of the world? Yeah, I, I think that we are in a, a really fortunate position that, you know, as a as a country, we are quite small. We also have partnerships with Australia. But I think we're in a position where we can really engage with potential funders and potential um, partners um, in, in a one-to-one conversation. And, and I think that is invaluable in terms of actually understanding where they're at, them understanding you as an individual and your drivers for the, you know, the not-for-profit that you've set up. And, you know, whilst it may not reap benefits immediately, it's helping you understand what their future funding um, wants are, but it also helps get you on their radar. So, you know, you're in a much bigger part of the world, but I certainly think if there are local funders and local partners just saying, hi, can I have a chat, just letting you know where you are, Wondering where you're at, because that's what we don't do often enough. We want to tell people what we're doing, but actually people love to talk about what they're doing. And I think you get much greater engagement if you make that two-way and mm. think a bit about it as long-term relationship building. Yeah, no, that's real good. I think that's true. That's true for us here in the U.S., and I just think that's generally true overall. Joe, welcome to the podcast. What are your thoughts about this topic? Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Uh, Dr. Clark having me up here. I, I love the topic. I, I think that when I saw it in the, the hallway here, I, I just wanted to, to learn more about what you, how, how you directed people and guided people. I've had an opportunity to raise quite a bit of money for nonprofits and, uh, and for profits and just uh, wanted to hear your take. So I appreciate you having me up. And so uh, thanks for joining the podcast. So, Joe, really quick. So when you talk about raising money for nonprofits, what are some of the best practices you've seen or you, you you've utilized to raise uh, quite a bit of money for nonprofits? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head a second ago when you were talking to Gerald about having to identify the different ways um, you may connect beyond just asking somebody for money, being able to really dig into who they are, what they are, and why they would be a good partner. Not everybody is. And so, you know, I have a lot of people come to me and ask for money. And typically the mistake that they make is when they, they come to me, they're telling me all the reasons why I... I need to give them money, but they're not really telling me anything of why I would want to, <laughs> you know, if I'm just being honest. Yep. And so I think probably best, uh, best practices is trying to figure out how you can find that win-win opportunity. What, what is it that person's looking for in a, a for-profit? Uh, is it, they're either looking for money or they're looking for something, uh, that, you know, altruistic that, that makes them feel good about why they're doing it. And so, you know, what is it that's going to motivate them? Because most people with money are getting hit, hit up like, you know, multiple times a day asking them for money. At some point, there's only so much to go around. So you have to figure out who you're going to really work with. Yeah, no, and I think that's so true. And I'll invite others here. I see Mike's flashing. I think that's so true, Joe, right? Whether you're dealing with corporations, foundations, individuals, partners, sponsors, uh, some mom and pop shops, mid-sized businesses, large businesses, uh, you're absolutely right. And I think there's a there's an important role that we play as nonprofit leaders to figure out, like, who are we going to pursue and why? Uh, you know, and we're working on that too, um, more aggressively with the organization I I'm a part of, right? Where we're always looking at sponsors that we can work with. But I gotta tell you, what one of the things I told my staff is that we're not looking for sponsors for sponsorship's sake. 
I don't want to work with just any sponsor. And it's not just because we're trying to be like this purist uh, with our work. It's just from a business perspective, not all sponsors make sense. Not all sponsors are relevant to the work that we are part of. And quite frankly, if we're honest, we can't add value to every potential sponsor or every potential business owner that seeks to do business with us. So it's really important for us to figure out what potential relationships are going to be able to add value to us and vice versa. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, you're hitting nail on the head, brother. Uh, I think that when you, you talk about people's needing to do to feel good about things that's that's fine but also you need to be selective and, mm. and i think that's something that people miss uh, when they're out looking for money is that money is easy to get really once you learn how to get it money is is the easy part the the more difficult part is finding the right people that, that are, are the right fit yep and you know when you're starting talking about well i raised this much money or i got this much money from this person or this company well I can tell you the backside of that, and I know you can. The backside of that is that there's some headaches that come along with that as well. Absolutely. Especially if you get in bed with the wrong person. Absolutely. And, and it's not worth it. It isn't. And so you really need to make sure the people that you're connected with are in line with your vision, your your current values, and make sure that they are the right fit for you moving forward. So um, I love what you're saying. I think it's right on. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Go ahead, Joe. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me add one more thing. The other thing, that I, other mistake I see people make a lot of times, and I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback on this, is they, they try to raise too little money. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's harder to raise $100,000 than it is to raise $5 million. <laughs> did i say that out loud uh yeah you said it out loud we heard you yeah I, I agree with you right and so so here's the funny thing so so the thing about this particular topic where we focus on hundred thousand dollars in six months this is for the newbie right the person who just got their 501c3 who is brand new and they're scared of zeros in in context a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money for them joe and what hey, you're no right, and what you're saying in the world that I I play in, the world I'm a part of, you know, we're part we we lead an eight million dollar not not eight million eight figure, an eight figure nonprofit here where I am. Uh, those numbers don't scare us because that's that's normal for us, right? That that's a part of what we're pursuing on a regular basis. And and I think I, what I would say to any business owner, business leader, nonprofit, for for profit, ministry leader, etc. Obviously, you want to work your way up. And quite frankly, don't don't take what Joe and I are saying as what you got to do tomorrow because that's not going to happen at all. I mean, everyone gets lucky every once in a while, but doing it over and over and over again it requires discipline and systems. But the reality is, what you learn on your journey of raising. You know, going from zero to 10,000, 10,000 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 500,000, 500,000 to a million is that the process is the same. Once you find out what works for you, it's just that you're adding more zeros at the end of the ask. You start to come in contact with high net worth individuals in different realms, in different ways, in different spaces uh, that puts you in contact with uh, the potential money that you're looking for. In my business, it's the same way. In the nonprofit, it's the same way. In the ministry, it's the same way. Everything has the same 
process. And to, to Joe's point, and Joe, I want to invite you to come back in here to kind of talk about this more. Uh, it, it's it's not hard to do, but the more you do it and the better you get at it, and quite frankly, let me just say this, guys. As the nonprofit leader, the rep of your organization, as the person who is the cheerleader, uh, chief cheerleader, the chief uh, person who is uh, representing your nonprofit organization, you're going to have to get comfortable with raising money. The more comfortable you get with raising money and marketing and presenting your organization to would-be partners and sponsors and funders and donors – the easier it gets and the more you start to target people and you get better at that process. But I'll invite you to chime back in here, Joe. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the, the point that I was trying to make for the newbies is the mistake that I see happen over and over again with people who are just getting started is that in their mind, they think $100,000 is a lot. Mm-hmm. And because they think $100,000 is a lot, then they end up kind of struggling and, you know, maybe get Mm 10,000. But when you're going in and you're trying to find those resources and those right partners, you have to understand that sometimes, and you know this, uh, when, when you're dealing with somebody that has a lot of resources they're trying to deploy and they're trying to find the right partners, then they have to deploy a certain amount of resources yet be a small enough part of the partnership that they don't own the whole thing. Yep. And, and so that's the, the main thing that I was trying to address there is that when, when you're getting started, $100,000 is a lot of money. It is. But in the big picture, that's not what's going to get anybody where they need to be. But it, comes, it all comes back to having those right partners and the right people and the right connections and the right businesses uh, to come in, in line with you. Absolutely. This is Joe. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, just to put a button on this, guys, I think the bigger point, and, and I, I like what he said at the end, and I say this often, whatever you think you need is not enough. You know, it's not enough to help your community. It's not enough to save the kids you're looking to save. It's not enough to transform lives. You're going to need a lot more money than that. And this is why I rail against the small-minded fundraisers such as cupcake sales and car washes and all those little things. It's a waste of money and time and energy. But if you focused your energy on building six- and seven-figure programs similar to what I just shared today and similar to what I've been sharing on this podcast over the last handful of years, you'll realize that, one, if you follow some of what I said, you'll find much greater success or at least outcomes that are much greater than what you've been able to achieve on your own. And then two, you start to see themes to this. You start to see trends to this process, to this journey. And you start to realize, man, just just raising that 5000 uh, from the Walmart Foundation, the Walmart Community Grant is not enough. It's, it's not enough at all. The biggest expense you're going to have as a nonprofit is going to be your people. And so you need to raise money to hire more people, to serve more people, to help more people, to transform more lives. So you're going to have to raise that money. Before we wrap the show today, I do want to make my rounds. Uh, we'll start with Ryan. Then we'll go to Gwen, Gerald, and Joe. Ryan, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this show today? Yes, I was just thinking as Mr. Gerald was speaking, um, I'm being involved with an organization, a nonprofit um, called um, Genuine by Choice, which is under another nonprofit organization, Ties Place. Uh, and I was thinking about starting my own organization, but the, uh, the 
co-founder of Gentleman by Choice, he suggested uh, that I, you know, partner with them and to expand their program instead of starting on my own because as it was mentioned already, it's, you know, so many people trying to get money and get funding. So he suggested that I start um, well, a partnership with them. And I asked, I asked him, um, okay, um, I need to know what, what my limitations are, what I, what I can and cannot do, because, you know, I have a creative mind, so if there's things that I would like to do, uh, that I would like to, I don't want to feel like I'm limited on, on, you know, creating and implementing. And so I asked him, I guess we're going to have a talk soon to find the best way we, where we can merge the two together. You know, what Jenny my choice and what I would like to do um, with the organization that I was planning on establishing, you know, on my own. Got you. Okay. Well, listen, I would encourage you, Ryan, if you would like to uh, chat with me further about that, uh, feel free to shoot me a DM to schedule a free consult. We'll be glad to talk with you about your project and what you're working on. Uh, Gwen, what are your final thoughts on this topic? Uh, it's really interesting. So just going back to what you and Joe were saying about the level of funding, I'm, I'm working with an organization at the moment who are consistently raising half a million dollars which is great, they want to raise more. And the reason they can't raise more is because they're spending so much time on relationships. They've got lots and lots of funders, corporate partners, but all at a very low level. And it's just taking up all their time. So I'm working with them to build a framework to make sure that the time they're spending with different funders is appropriate to the amount of income they're getting from those funders mm -hmm. and looking at how they actually build in prospecting time as well. Yeah, no, I think that kind of that kind of bleeds into what Joe was talking about, right? You know, it's not that it's not that that money is a scarcity. The money is out there, but as you said, Gwen, it's about who we're spending time with and who we're soliciting dollars from. And if we're wasting our time soliciting dollars from individuals who aren't giving us the greatest value possible, uh, then we're losing opportunity and leaving money on the table. But just as a reminder, and I'm sure you're doing this, Gwen. Uh, you know, it's a process. It's a journey. And hopefully you're able to help that organization kind of elevate their game to the next level. Gerald, what are your thoughts about uh, what are your closing thoughts today? Yeah, I think you guys are right on point with what you're saying. And I'm doing, you know, a lot of those things right now, really focusing on my relationship building and who I'm having the conversations with to kind of find to find the value of, of those funders who, who are going to fund my nonprofit. Um, and I've, I think I've been successful to this point, but having, for me, having my business kind of run as a fee for service has really been successful too in, in giving us the opportunity to continue to, to do programming and in, in the absence of having funding. Mm, got it, man. I encourage you, Gerald. It's always great to see you. Um, I encourage you to contact me to schedule your free consult, man. We'll love to talk more about you, talk more about what you're working on and how I can help you. Uh, Joe, last but not least, uh, what are your closing thoughts? Dr. Clark, I just appreciate you. My closing thoughts are, man, thank God that there are guys like you out here willing to, to help nonprofits and help people uh, get 
accomplish their goals and, and achieve them. So uh, my final thought really is, is more for you that uh, I would encourage all these people you're offering free consults to to get a hold of you and make it happen because uh, you're you're offering a great service. I appreciate you. Absolutely, Joe. Appreciate you for coming in and sharing the good information you did. Guys, as a, cl- as a closing thought here, I appreciate you being a part of the podcast. Just want to remind you guys, it's really important to focus on how to build six-figure programs. You can do it. You can make it happen. And what it comes down to is having a plan in place. This particular podcast episode is brought to you by the Fundraising Masterclass. But, and we're talking about the Masterclass, and, and I'm glad that the Masterclass is a supporter of this particular podcast because – If you are in need of help, if you want the blueprint to develop the right plan that makes sense for your organization, then join the masterclass. You don't got to do it by yourself. And I think that's my final thought. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Stop trying to work it through by yourself and trying to Google this and search that while you can. And it's not impossible. But if you know that you can get to where you need to be faster with just a little help, wouldn't you take it? That's the point of the masterclass. So I encourage you guys to submit your applications for the July cohort. Uh, We have a few seats left. Be a part of what we're doing and and be a part of the journey. Lead the journey for your organization. Take a hands-on approach with where your organization is going. If you want to join the masterclass and you want to take the planning process by the horns and you want a little help, certainly I can do that. Then go submit your application to nonprofitfundingstrategies.com. Again, it's nonprofitfundingstrategies.com. Submit your application. We'll be glad to evaluate your application and uh, take it from there. This is Dr. William Clark for the Dr. William Clark Podcast. We will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace, everybody. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. William Clark here. I just wanted to come on really quick and say thank you for listening to another episode of the Dr. William Clark Podcast. We are here to help you uh, simplify your processes so you can triple fundraising results to support the programs that mean so much to you. Would you be so kind to like, comment, and share this particular podcast? We are indebted to you for being faithful listeners to this particular podcast show, and we want to continue to spread uh, this message to other people who can benefit from it. So please share this podcast episode and entire show with your colleagues your friends and people who you know can benefit from this you can connect with us in two ways you can go to drwilliampclark.com again that's drwilliampclark.com or you can visit us at my sixfigurefunding.com again that's my sixfigurefunding.com there you can register for our free upcoming webinar how to triple fundraising results without chasing funders It is possible, and I share with you the secrets on how to do that. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next episode.